interested in the episode today because who doesn't love Ed and Lorraine Warren and all these horror movies that have been coming out recently Annabelle and The Conjuring and Amityville and it's just almost too good to be true isn't it like getting to live a life where you explore haunted houses for a living and I guess it's not everyone's dream right It's just me. (laughs) But, you know, their story fascinates me. And I did some digging into them, and I found some things I would consider red flags about their story. Some people say they're charlatans. Maybe they were. But I'm going to provide you this information that I've discovered. Kind of go over some of the cases, and you make up your mind whether or not these were genuine hauntings. Because as it, as it goes, Ed Warren was a self-proclaimed demonologist who studied about the devil and demonic possessions. And Lorraine was supposed to be a psychic, clairvoyant medium who could open the gateway between our world and the other world and bring forth information to help these families get rid of these entities. They got big slowly over time. And at first people were like, they're kooks, they're crazy people. But they started investigating and they were actually called in on like hundreds of cases, supposedly. And now they're the center of attention again because of all these movies that are coming out. And the Warner Brothers, I believe it is, bought the rights to the Ed and Lorraine Warren story. And which is great for them because they're both deceased now. And I'm not sure if their daughter Judy is raking in all the cash, but they are definitely making a ton of money because... The 2013 film, The Conjuring, earned over $300 million at the box office. Now, that's just the first Conjuring. I prefer the second Conjuring. I thought it was a lot more scary. And then you have the Annabelle series, and The Devil Made Me Do It, and The Nun, and just, you know, a series of horror movies that are raking in serious cash. So... When you can connect a horror movie with events that happened in real life, I feel like more people are going to want to see that movie. Even if it's, you know, dramatized and some of the stuff didn't really happen, but they just made it look like it happened. People are still interested in the paranormal 
And if you can tie it in with a real family that you can go and look up and see, it makes it more interesting. So the Warrens had claimed to have investigated actually thousands of cases involving demons, ghosts, poltergeist, and the devil himself. And I'm all for the creepy. I, you know, would love to go see that museum or whatever they had in their basement of all those haunted relics. Of course, I'd say a prayer before I went in because I don't want no shit following me up out of there. And you know what? I wouldn't go in there because I'm superstitious about that kind of stuff. I'm even superstitious about talking about this. But let's just say a prayer. Please, God, don't let anything come from me talking about this devil shit. Okay, amen. Now, let's move on. One of the more famous cases, I say that, I hadn't heard of it, but one of the more famous cases was in 1974 when they were kind of at the tippity-toppity of their success, if you can call it that. And it was called the Lindley Street Poltergeist. And how I came about finding this information is it was actually featured in the news of of that city and people were flocking from all over to get a glimpse of this house because it was so infested with poltergeists and just caught the attention of everyone so ed and lorraine receive a a phone call from their close personal friend, Mary Pascarella, who is a psychic. And Mary asked them to come and look at the Lindley Street house, and Mary claimed that there was a real poltergeist inside the house. And the family who lived there had actually called the police because they didn't even know what else they could do. And Police were lined up outside the house when Ed and Lorraine showed up and they heard about all this. Mary Pascarella, she's seeing into whatever is in the house and she says it's demonic and it's coming to get the family, right? So Lorraine, ahead of time, calls a priest and the priest shows up at the house with the warrants. And the family who lived there was the Gooden family. And along with the police officers, there were firemen. Yeah, firemen. And Ed Warren carried around this tape recorder because he wanted to catch incidents, testimonies, eyewitness reports. He wanted them on these tapes so he could go back and listen to them and use them as proof that these people actually said these things and it was all real. So he got his tape recorder out and Ed tape recorded the responses of the police officers and asked them, what did you see in the house? And I listened to a couple of these tape recordings and the police officers are saying, it looked like someone had went through the house with a baseball bat and everything was a ray everything was knocked off the walls and the furniture would move on its own and they saw things lift up on their own and fly across the room now coming from a police officer i would say that's pretty serious unless they were fakers 
they're usually skeptical-minded. So if a police officer is telling you, I just saw objects fly across the room, that's enough for me. I'm going to be scared shitless. But so they also said they saw the little girl fly back into one of the recliners in the living room three separate times. Pick the little girl up and throw her across the room into a recliner on three separate occasions. But the Warrens, and this is a reoccurring theme, they want to experience the activity themselves because then they can substantiate the claims of the family and the police officers and it will be real to them. And I kind of respect that because while, yes, you are an officer of the law and I believe you, you're probably telling the truth. I want to see this for myself. So they go into the house and Ed Warren says he saw a crucifix explode on the wall and a stack of dishes lifts up and flies across the room and shatters. That's probably enough for me to say, all right, everybody out of the house, let's burn this place to the ground and move on. But no, they want to go ahead with the investigation and they want to try to get whatever is in the house out of the house. So, Ed and Lorraine ask the family what their first experience was. And I'm just going to read it as it lies. But this would have been the way that they describe the way the Gooden family describes this experience is like, oh, well, it just happened and we, no big deal. We didn't think anything of it. But if this happened to me, I would move to another country. I'd be so scared. But let's let's just read it and you tell me what you think. They stated it was one night after carrying in their groceries. They set their groceries down on the kitchen table. And the kitchen table lifted up off the ground and the groceries were slung across the room. And the knives in the butcher's block lifted up out of the holder and were flying across the room. That's a doozy right there. Because if I saw something like that, I'd need a horse tranquilizer to calm myself down. But what did they say? They said they were confused and not concerned and just picked up the kitchen and dismissed it. My ass, okay? But let's just say that's really what happened. They dismissed it. Maybe it was a one-time occurrence, just a little devil here and there, and then on with our lives. But the activity kept ramping up and getting worse. So the Gooden family reached out to a personal friend who was a police officer. The police officer said he came over when they called. He pulls up into the driveway and he sees them sitting on the front porch freaking crying hysterically, terrified, horrified. 
And so he goes into the house alone. And he sees the recliners opening and closing themselves in concert in the living room. And the refrigerator and the TV move across the room. So he quickly called for backup. And he alerted the fire department. And so the fire department shows up at the house. And they have no idea what to do. And they start seeing things move around on their own. And the firemen say, we're not very good at fighting devils. And they printed that in the newspaper. It was the front page of the newspaper. It said the firemen stated, we're not very good at fighting devils. And the activity began attracting like huge crowds of people over to the house and it was broadcasted on the news and it went viral and people lined up the street in their cars just to get a look at the house. And funny enough, all this happened a few months before the release of the movie The Exorcist, which showed us the devil and the power of evil. So when the news reports came out that this was real and really happening to people, it went so hugely viral that people outside of the country heard about it. That's pretty fucking crazy. So Ed and Lorraine Warren have a priest come in to the house to perform an exorcism. Not of the family, but of the house itself. And the priest is going around room to room. He's got his little rosary out. He's reading his prayer book. And in all of the shows I've ever watched, like A Haunting or any paranormal ghost shows, this thing that's in the house usually picks a place in the house and that's like where it lives. And then it just kind of goes around to the other parts of the house when it wants to, but it has a centralized location where they claim that it originates from. So he's walking around the house and he goes down into the basement of the house and he's reading his little prayer and he claims he sees a huge black figure black mass down in the basement and it freaks him out so while he's in the basement upstairs Lorraine is sitting at a table with like the priest in training who came with the other priest and she's sitting at the table and she goes Ooh, like that and she looks down and there's a fucking blister on her hand and she says oh god it feels like I got burned and she, there's literally like a big welt on her hand and that's when they're like okay let's 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 take a break let's get out of the house and we'll recap but this is one of the cases that really put the Warrens on the map probably because it was so publicized So the Goodens have a 10-year-old little girl, and her name is Marsha. And the activity in the house kind of circles around 
the little girl, Marsha. And this priest in training was left to stay at the house so he could monitor the activity and keep an eye out on the little girl in case she, for any reason, had been causing all of the activity, which if this is true and stuff was moving around on its own, there's no 10-year-old little girl that can move a refrigerator without touching it across the room. Even if she had been touching it, she couldn't have had the strength to move an entire refrigerator across the room. But let's just say they kept the priest in training at the house to look over the little girl. And he says this entity picked Marsha up and threw her across the room. They're clearly convinced there's something more going on in the house, right? But so the night that they're sitting there and Lorraine gets the blister on her hand, she says, okay, we're about to leave, but you stay here. You watch the little girl. We'll come back in the morning. And the family's like, you promise you'll come back? And they're like, yeah, we're going to come back. So During that night, unbeknownst to them, the police superintendent was going to announce the following morning, his name is Joseph Walsh, that the case was solved and it was the little girl, Marsha Gooden, and he would not allow any further investigation into the house and basically shushed it all up because it was causing a pretty good ruckus in the town and they basically came to the conclusion that, all right, we've had our fun, uh, time to close this case up and we'll just say it was the little girl so we can, you know, hush this up and, and move on with our lives. The rite of exorcism was never performed on that house. So whatever was in there, I guess, was still in there and maybe the family just moved out, but the documentary I watched did not say what happened. But it is considered to be the Roswell of haunted houses. So where did this interest in the paranormal get started with the Warrens? I read that it started as children for both of them. Because Ed Warren claims that he lived in a haunted house as a kid. And he would get into his bed at night and, you know, be laying there trying to go to sleep. And he would see these entities in his closet at night. And he said that it would start off as a little light and the light would get bigger and bigger, bigger. And then a face would start to form in the light. And then it would become the face of an old woman and then the body of an old woman. And it terrified him. He he was petrified. So he would go to his dad, but his dad did not encourage him to believe in ghosts. And he would tell Ed, like, there's a logical reason for everything you see. But then it was funny because he would never say what that logical reason was. So it always intrigued Ed to search for answers. And Lorraine says like she was like nine years old when she started seeing these lights around people, these spectacular lights surrounding each person. And, you know, later she'd realized that what she was seeing was the aura around people. And 
you know, some people are sensitive enough to see the auras around people. They definitely exist. Everyone has their own energy signature that is produced in the aura. So she wasn't allowed to talk about it with her family and she went to like a Catholic school. So definitely not going to be talking about it there. So they grow up and Lorraine meets Ed at a movie theater where he's working at and they were both 16 years old. But Ed actually went into the Navy when he was 16 and their relationship continued, but it was just through writing letters back and forth to each other. And here's red flag number one. While he was serving in the Navy during World War II, Ed experienced what he calls a life-changing event that proved to him that angels and demons were real. And he was involved in one of the worst shipping disasters of the war. It was like a fiery collision with an oil tanker and it forced Ed and about a hundred other men to fight for their lives by jumping into the icy waters of the Atlantic and trying to swim to safety. And Ed Warren jumps out into the Atlantic water and he's fighting for his life. He swims over to his buddy and grabs him by the neck and starts swimming away from the ship. And Ed claims he started praying and then he sees the gasoline open up and go around him and his friend. And then the Coast Guard boat comes through the flames and picks him and his friend up and saves their lives. And a lot of men died that day. Why is this a red flag? I can't substantiate the claim. But there is a recurring connection between infamous serial killers and being involved in the military. And while he claims that his interest in the paranormal started as a child and then slowly developed over time, he never pursued anything until after he got out of the Navy. So he comes home on a 30-day leave and he marries Lorraine. And she becomes Mrs. Lorraine Warren on May 22nd, 1945, and they were both 18 years old. Their daughter, Judy, was born while he was still in active duty, and when his service was over, he supported himself, Lorraine, and little Judy by painting pictures of houses and landscapes and like beautiful outdoor scenery and other things. He claims that he dabbled in some other stuff and just was selling these pictures at like three or five dollars a piece. But he noticed, red flag number two here, he noticed that people were only interested in buying the pictures he painted of haunted houses which he says was cool because he and Lorraine were already interested in that. So he gets this bright idea that he will only paint haunted houses to sell. And so one of those first houses 
that they decided to paint and visit was the Ocean Born Mary House in New Hampshire. This house is claimed to be haunted, and he goes with Lorraine for a visit. And Ed talks to the homeowner about his experiences in the house. And they're sitting at a table, having a conversation. And while Ed is talking with Mr. Roy, the owner of the house, about what's been going on there, he looks over and Lorraine is in like a trance state. And he's like snapping his fingers at her and she's just staring blankly. And finally snaps out of it. But she later said that she was having an out-of-body experience. She said she left her body and was hovering over the table, watching Ed and Mr. Roy have their conversation. So when she tells Ed about that, he's like astonished because he's like, oh shit, she's got superpowers. So he uses Lorraine's gift of clairvoyance to his advantage in this whole narrative of this Ed and Lorraine Warren story. So they begin visiting more haunted houses. And how they did this was Ed would go to the house and paint a picture of the house with like ghosts coming out of it. And after he was done painting and made, made it look real creepy and he'd give it to Lorraine. And Lorraine would go and knock on the door of the house and say, Hey, we we heard the stories about your house and me and my husband are very interested in it. And my husband's an artist and he painted this picture of your house for you. And the homeowners would be like, oh my God, damn girl, that's really awesome. How about you come in for some cucumber sandwiches? And that's how they did it. She would be like, ooh, we're in. So they'd go in, they'd gain access to the house, and they'd ask the homeowners questions and do like kind of like a little pseudo investigation, which is pretty clever, to be honest. And from there, an entire career developed. And people would start calling them to go in on cases and get their opinions on it. So they didn't even have to pursue anyone. They would come to them. And they would have them come and investigate the activity. And typically it would be these families who would call and ask for their help because they were highly desperate. And, you know, God bless them if they really were experiencing horrible paranormal activity in their homes and they felt like they had no one else to call, you know. So the Warrens were the only people out there doing it like boots on the ground, going and investigating these claims of paranormal activity. So they were strict Catholics. And Ed always recalls this one story of when he was a little boy and a priest coming to his father when he was like eight years old and saying, Frank, you're never going to believe what's going on two blocks away. There's a man under possession and he takes the form of a pig 
and he takes the appearance of a pig and makes noises like a pig and there are these foul smells. We're going to have to perform the rite of exorcism on this man. And Ed says he always remembers that. So the Warrens were devout Catholics. And by the 1970s, they say that they investigated hundreds of hauntings. And they were known as the seekers of the paranormal and devoted their lives to proving the existence of the paranormal. And they had a show who their son-in-law moderated. And it was basically just asking them questions about hauntings, cases that they investigated and what really happened and just having them rehash everything in, you know, first person. It was a pretty cool show. I think it was a little theatrical um, and it was only Ed and Lorraine. So they probably got together and decided what they were going to talk about, how they were going to talk about it. So not a red flag, but probably theatrical. So Ed said he had to invoke the power of the church in order to expel the demons. And he used tape recorders to keep record of their many experiences. And he had to convince church leaders to become involved. And more often than not, actually, the priests would decline to help the Warrens. And Ed used to say, you would never believe and you would be shocked at how many Catholic priests don't even believe there's a devil. And he said that never made sense to him because it's all in the Bible. Within every 10 words, there's a psychic word. Ghost, devil, apparition, demon, evil. He said he never stopped searching and looking into the paranormal until the day he died. So one thing I have to say I respect about them is that they never asked any of these families for some cash. No compensation whatsoever. I guess it was a labor of love in a way because if this is what you're into and you consider this your life's passion, you would do it for free, I would assume. Even though to me, I would be like, nah, I'm not getting involved with that dark shit. But they would go into these people's houses and try to help them out. And they would never ask for anything in return. No money, nothing like that. So, in 1971, they say they came face to face with a demon. They were contacted by a family in Rhode Island who was desperately seeking their assistance. And at this point, the Warrens are known for their paranormal investigations and doing battle with the demonic. Now enter the Conjuring House. Roger and Carolyn Perrin claimed that the haunting started the day they moved into the 18th century farmhouse, known today as the Conjuring House. So two of the little girls saw a man walking around the house. The mother seemed to be the focal point of the activity, though, and the most negative things would happen to the mother, Carolyn. And one time, when the Warrens came over to investigate, this is straight from the horse's mouth, okay? Lorraine says, 
that Carolyn went to cut open an orange and blood splurted out. And each one of those little girls was experiencing something different. So it was like they couldn't even like say it was one thing. It was like a lot of different things and it was individual to like each of the family members. So Carolyn, the mom, is seeing apparitions of an old woman in the house. And she says she sees things moving around on their own in the house. So Lorraine is going to attempt to pick up on the energy and where the hotspots are and where this entity is located in the house. So Lorraine would put her hands out when she would walk into the room and kind of just feel things out. Where is it? And she picks up on a female spirit. And Ed relied on Lorraine a lot because if she said she wasn't picking up on anything, that was good enough for him to say, okay, it's not haunted. Let's move on. So because she was picking something up in the house, they decided to conduct a further investigation. Because now they have to identify it. Is it the spirit of a once living person? Or something else? More sinister. So here's where it gets dangerous. Because Ed and Lorraine recommend doing a seance to contact who or what is in the house. And they're looking for a name. And Carolyn is for it, right? The wife, she's all about it. She's for it. But the husband, Roger, is like, hell nah. You ain't doing no seance up in her. But even though to his distaste, they go ahead two days later and they proceed with the seance. The four gather to perform the seance sitting around a table. Lorraine, the psychic medium, is in the middle. She is going to go into a trance-like state. And she is going to try to find out the name of the entity. She takes some deep breaths and tries to connect with the spirit. But things suddenly take a turn. Some unforeseen force overpowers Carolyn. And she is picked up in her chair and thrown across the room and onto the ground. And then Carolyn begins speaking in strange tongues. She was supposedly possessed. And Roger, the husband, starts freaking the fuck out and was like, see, I told y'all motherfuckers, look at my wife. Something is happening to her. He's never seen before in his life. So he's frantic, freaking out, and he runs to her. And Ed Warren stops him because Ed believes she's under demonic attack and if he tries to intervene in any way he will put himself and everyone else in danger 
But at that point, Roger is so furious and he punches Ed Warren in the face and runs over to his wife. And then Roger kicks Ed and Lorraine Warren out of their house mid-seance and they're never allowed back into the house. The Warrens then stated to the public that there was nothing and no one who could ever cleanse that house of whatever was in there and moved on. Conveniently, now Roger is stuck getting demon-possessed Gucci for the rest of his life. Now, all jokes aside, they never mentioned to the public that they were kicked out and expelled from the home from the family. So I feel like that would be something noteworthy to say and be honest about because it actually would have been just as intriguing to say we were in the middle of a seance, she became possessed, she was speaking in tongues, she was having an outrage, and then I tried to stop him from going over to her. He punched me in the face and kicked us out of the house, and no one will ever know what, what happened after that. But no, they said there was nothing and no one who could have cleansed the house. So it kind of like diverges the blame from them. I guess that would be red flag number three for me. All right, so five years later, we have the Amityville horror case. And this case would prove to the public the existence of evil and the demonic and it was highly publicized i'm sure this case needs no introduction but it is the world's most infamous haunting by far i mean ryan reynolds was in the remake so the three-story dutch colonial is the place where in 1974 ronald defeo brutally shot and killed all six members of his family in the middle of the night. And I did have a conversation with my brother and he goes, well, you know, um, you know, Ron DeFeo has come out and admitted since then that it wasn't the devil. He was just an asshole, crazy person and just wanted to kill his family. And that's all there was to it. And he made up the other stuff. So I guess if you've had that much time to think about it, you would probably just start saying what the truth was. But a year later, the new owners, George and Kathy Lutz, will hold a press conference and announce that they abandoned their house after living there for only 28 days. So after they announce that, the case is getting a little bit more public about what's going on in there. And, you know, here comes Ed and Lorraine Warren. So George and Kathy Lutz describe the activity to the Warrens just like any other case. And what they said they saw at the Amityville house was windows opening and closing by themselves and strange sounds and weird voices beds were shaking 
and they would hear screaming coming from the kids room but it was like they couldn't get to the kids like something was trying to hold them back from getting to the kids room so the investigation begins Lorraine claims as she's walking up the stairs she reaches her hands out and she's feeling around like she always does and she's climbing the stairs and right as she gets to the second floor landing she begins to feel an enormous pressure on her chest and compares it to the weight of a waterfall quote unquote on her chest so she started praying and you know just pleading the blood of Jesus on it for it to lift off of her and she says the energy was the energy that she felt was inhuman and Lorraine claims that was the closest to hell that she'd ever want to go but while Lorraine is upstairs doing her little feel around the house Ed Warren is in the basement supposedly not knowing anything that's going on with Lorraine and he's attempting to provoke any unwelcome spirits and Ed claims he took out a crucifix and was demanding in the blood of Christ and in the blood in the name of Christ to reveal itself he says he never got such a quick reaction. He describes, here it comes, a tremendous amount of pressure on him, like standing under a quote-unquote waterfall. So this is where I'm going to go ahead and say red flag number four. Because they're using the same terminology and describing it in the same way. And it starts to sound a little scripted to me because that's very specific to say it felt like the pressure of a waterfall. But we'll just keep going. So Ed says the pressure was so terrific it forced him down onto the floor and he said he commanded it to, to leave him in the name of Jesus Christ and the pressure lifted. But since that happened, he's now convinced a demon infests the house. So the Warrens leave and return two weeks later and perform another damned seance. Why would you do a seance in the murder house? Like, it's not like you're, you don't know what happened in there and you're trying to figure it out. And like, you know, six people were murdered there. And the guy who murdered them said that he did it because he heard voices in his head. So why would you, why would you do, anyway. Like, I'm just beating a dead horse. But, she, so Lorraine claims to be clairvoyant. But usually the point of doing a seance is to uncover the information that a clairvoyant person can pick up on naturally. So why all the frou-frou? And unnecessary shit like the seance. I don't I don't really get that. But joining the Warrens is a team. Yeah, a team of psychics, 
paranormal researchers and members of the media. Mm-hmm. Now, I guess why we see <laughs> why they needed all the pomp and circumstances because they were <laughs> they were being televised. So it's pretty much like they were putting on a show. But they okay, we're going on with the seance. So during the seance, what came through was a demonic presence. I thought we already established that. We already knew it was the point of the seance. I just don't get it. So here we have Mary Pascarella again, the other psychic that was at the Lindley Street house. And she was convinced that there had been a warlock living right where the house was built in 1928. And she felt like this warlock brought a lot of dark shit with him. So... And ultimately, they were not able to make contact with the other side when all the cameras and stuff were around funny. (laughs) But any other time they did a seance, when it was only just, you know, their word-of-mouth testimony, people would fly across the room and speak in tongues. But when the cameras turn on, they're nowhere to be found. (laughs) I don't know. I want to believe it, you guys. I want to believe it so bad, but you have to be skeptical about this kind of stuff. So, several people did, however, testify that they felt ill and sick to their stomach and just sick all over. And the cameraman got to that same second floor landing and clutched his chest and fell over. So, I I feel like probably the cameraman, that's pretty compelling. But... That Mary Pascarella supposedly never stepped foot in another haunted house again. So, whether or not that's true, if it is, again, that's pretty compelling. But they did not feel any connection to the murdered DeFeo family. So, that's good. Just only to something demonic. The Warrens claim that their hope is in an exorcism to be able to save the house. Especially one caught on camera because it will prove once and for all to the world that demons are real. But just like the conjuring house, the exorcism will never take place. And just like the Lindley Street house. Instead, George and Kathy Lutz let the bank foreclose on their house and move their family to California. And if you want a really bad day, look into the kind of person George Lutz was and what happened to their oldest son, Danny. I watched a whole documentary called My Amityville Horror, I think it was called. Yeah, My Amityville Horror. And it was Danny. And basically, he just rehashes everything that went on in the house. He claims it was all real. And he also says he had, like, his hand halfway in and out of a window seal one day. And the window came slamming down on his hand and crushed his two fingers, his pinky and his ring finger, on one either his left or right hand. I can't remember. But you can literally see to this day those two fingers on his hand were deformed. And curved, and you can literally see where they would have been, like, kind of curved over the windowsill. So, yeah, that really got me when I saw that. But George Lutz, and get this shit, Danny 
claims that he was into occult type magic and was practicing going into the abyss and coming back out. And he was practicing like how to control things with his mind and move things with his mind. And this was before they moved into Amityville. And he said one night he, uh, George Lutz was like in the garage with his buddies drinking and reading weird books and trying to move things with their mind. And he saw George pick something up off a table and move it across the room with his mind. And he got so freaked out. He told his mom about it and his mom didn't believe him and took him to a doctor, not a psychiatrist. It was, you know, in the 60s, I want to say. So she just took him to the regular, like, pediatrician. And Danny says somewhere in a file cabinet, there is a file from his doctor written in pen of this account of what happened with George. Because his doctor wrote it all down. And he was like, you can go and find it. I promise you. I'm not making it up. And George was already into like all this occult bullshit before they moved into the Amityville house. So maybe George opened the door to whatever was there. Back to the subject. In 1977, the Amityville case is turned into a book first. Which you'll find is a reoccurring theme with these haunting cases. And... It's not that I don't think writing books is bad. Like, I don't think writing books makes you a bad person or, you know, money hungry or chasing dollar bills or anything like that. But it is a reoccurring theme. Like, they go to a haunting. They try to get the media involved. They try to get into the news. They try to publicize it. And then when they get even a little tiny bit of publicity, a book comes out. And it's always like haunting book, haunting book, haunting book. So it's not like they weren't making any money whatsoever off this stuff. But so they turn Amityville into a book, which later turns into a whole series of movies. So, yeah, I mean, whether or not it was real, they they made some dollar bills. So they turned the Amityville horror into one of the most famous paranormal events of all time is really what happened, which caused Ed and Lorraine to become kind of like celebrities due to their involvement with this case. They're celebrities now. They're getting invited on talk shows. They have their own show. It's called Seekers of the Paranormal. And they're getting little little fame, little spotlight action. So... Ed and Lorraine are now in the bright lights of talk shows and now beginning to get also the heavy criticism from skeptical people, which I kind of like that because you have to put the heat on sometimes to get the truth out of people. So I believe that the Amityville case was controlled opposition and I will explain why. I'm going to actually look and I'll try to include it somewhere in the episode if fucking George Lutz was in the military or not. I bet his ass was. But so here's why it's controlled opposition. The year after Amityville, the Warrens become celebs and over one million Ouija boards are sold nationwide for children of all ages. And they claimed they worked with the media 
to specifically get the word out about how dangerous messing with the dark shit is. And they they just ended up encouraging more people to get into it. And they gave college lectures and they would play videos and audio clips of their cases to to the students. And Ed would say he showed these videos and audio clips to the students to give a warning like don't mess with Ouija boards and don't go to psychic readers because the devil is real. Now that's an actual quote. He says don't mess with Ouija boards. Don't go to psychic readers because the devil is real. But that's hypocritical considering the fact that they conducted countless seances and his wife was a self-proclaimed psychic. Their BFF Mary Pascarella was a psychic and Ouija boards were selling off the shelf in the years the Warrens were at the top of their game. So explain that to me. And once you begin talking about something, it becomes real. That's what I always say. So your words have power. And all they talked about was the devil and demons. Anyways, so Lorraine goes to get some testing done at UCLA to prove she's a psychic. And they conduct some kind of test on her. And the results are that she's found a, quote, light trance medium, end quote. And that would be opposed to, like, a deep trance medium where they go into, like, such a deep state of a trance. They don't, they're not aware of their surroundings. But so Lorraine can go into a trance-like state while remaining conscious and aware of her surroundings. So it validates it in Lorraine's mind that she has these gifts and this is what she's capable of. So in the 1980s, now that she's found her new confidence in herself, they take on a number of controversial cases, a little bit more complex. And one of those offers another chance to prove to the public the devil is real, but this time in a court of law. So enter in, the devil made me do it. And Ed Warren famously said, we are going to take the devil to court. So according to prosecutors, 19-year-old Arnie Johnson stabbed to death his landlord, Alan Bono, in a fit of rage. But Johnson's lawyer claims that Arnie was possessed by demons at the time, and they had entered his body during an exorcism of his fiance's little brother, just like the movie, you know? And they claim this 11-year-old boy that, that was his fiance's little brother would become extremely strong and it would take five freaking men to hold him down. And Arnie Johnson was one of the men who helped hold this little boy down. And Apparently, they were doing this exorcism over the course of several nights, which bothers me because I've seen a lot of little kids die this way, and it ended up being like mental illness and nothing to do with devils, so I don't really care for that at all. And 
anytime, I don't care if he was 11 years old or not, anytime you put a human being in a fight or flight situation, they're going to fight you with all of their strength. So if a grown man is coming after you and laying on you, you're going to go and fight or flight. And it would take five men to hold that little boy down. It used to take my mom, my sister, my aunt, my grandma. It used to take a village to hold me down when it was time to like take medicine or something. She'd have to freaking pry my jaw open and shove the medicine down my throat just to get me to take it. And I didn't have devils. I just didn't like amoxicillin bubblegum flavor. So Ed Warren claims that one night Arnie Johnson screams at these devils and says, take me on, but leave my little buddy alone. And Lorraine claims when you challenge the demonic like that, it doesn't necessarily get you at that specific time. It waits until a moment when you are most vulnerable and then it strikes. So they are going to have to prove to a jury there's such a thing as demonic possession. The Warrens are out to establish in a court of law that demonic possession is possible. And if it can be used successfully in a legal defense, then in Ed Warren's mind, they have legal precedence of the existence of demons. And that they can affect a person's actions. So Johnson's fiance was a girl by the name of Deborah Glatzel. And she backs up Arnie's whole story of the demonic possession. And, you know, there was a little interview of her. And she was on the news during the trial. And she was like, all hell broke loose. And he was growling and under demonic attack. And I never even saw Mr. Bono get stabbed. I want to believe that. I want to believe that. I want to believe that that's what she saw and she wasn't just scared. And she isn't just having her man's back. Because if my man goes down for homicide, actually it would be manslaughter. If my man goes down for manslaughter, I, I hate to say it guys, but Bonnie and Clyde, you know, ride or die. I didn't see shit. So in November... Nine months after the stabbing of Alan Bono, the judge makes his final ruling. The judge listened to the precedents and to the arguments, and then he said that demonic possession is not an acceptable defense. It is irrelevant in this case, and to the courts of the United States, it is not a science. And he will permit no evidence of demonic possession and devils. And the Warren's battle with the devil continues. Now enter the Smurl family. And their battle with the evil succubus. In January 1986 the Warrens receive yet another 
desperate call from a family in Pennsylvania. They are being plagued by a strange series of unexplainable events. It was broadcast on the news and it was all the usual spooky shit. And once they finally got fed up with it, Jack and Janet Smurl reach out to the church. But their church declines to help them. So the Smurls end up on CNN and it's widely televised. And a priest eventually goes over and blesses the house. But the blessing doesn't work. Because whatever's in there is real freaking powerful. So the Smurls then reach out to, of course, the Warrens. And the family tells the Warrens that they have been pulled out of their bed and that they have levitated off the bed. And one night, a demonic creature known as the succubus appears and attacks the husband, Jack. Jack claims he was sitting on his couch one night when the entity appears at the top of the stairs, right? And he sees a beautiful woman coming down the stairs and approaching him. But as the woman gets closer, he sees the beautiful face turns into a hideous face and has rotting flesh and looks like a skeleton and attacks him. So, to save the Smurl family, the Warrens attempt to vanquish the entity by using religious provocation. And Ed goes around the house throwing holy water on everything and demanding in the name of Christ that the entity leaves. And they have a police officer with them going through the house and Ed claims the demon grabbed him by the back of the neck and threw him across the room and was attacking him. And the police officer goes and grabs the holy water and sprinkles it on Ed and the entity leaves him. So the succubus proves to be too powerful for just Ed and Lorraine. So they reach out to the church again and the church declines to help the Warrens again. So they used their popularity to get the media involved and they were on the news. They held a press conference and demanded a priest come and help them. And the press conference works and it makes its way all the way up to the Vatican. Yeah. So when it gets all the way up to the Vatican, and y'all know how I feel about the Vatican, Cardinal Ratzinger, a future Pope, intervenes. And Cardinal Ratzinger assigned an exorcist from the Catholic Church who went to the house and performed the ritual exorcism. The ritual Romano in that house, which was very unusual because they usually only do the ritual Romano over a person. But they, so the priest comes, he does this ritual over the house. And to this day, the house has been cleared. 
according to the family. But the priests ended up classifying it as a diabolical infestation. And, you know, they were all like, yay, they got it out. But, you know, the Warren's War against evil is never over. So now enter one of my favorite cases, the haunting in Connecticut. So I have told people before that the movie, The Haunting in Connecticut, is one of my favorite horror movies. I watch it every year for Halloween because it's creepy, dark, ghosty, devilly, and just all the things that I love about horror movies. But it's the real story is a lot like what they depicted in the movie, you know, the mom, her name is Carmen, and her son's name is Philip, and he's undergoing cancer treatments, like, I don't know, it was like three or four hours away from their house, and they were having to, like, come do the cancer treatment and then drive all the way back to their house, so they decide to move closer, and they find this old colonial which is actually really nice from the outside it looks like it was really pretty but it was a former funeral home and I don't know if she knew that before they moved in but they found out afterwards because so herself her husband and her four kids move into the house and They start experiencing all kinds of different activity, including famously in the movie when she's mopping the floor and the mop water turns like stagnant and like a bloody color and it reeks, it adds a freaking stench, foul odor. And she's like, what the fuck? And she calls the housekeeper over and she's like, hey, what's going on with this mop water? And the, I guess the housekeeper bent down and sniffed it and was like, peace. So she booked it out of there. And the activity just kind of started increasing from there because Philip, the son, who's undergoing like chemo and radiation, whatever, he starts seeing a man around the house and he's in all black and he's got these black eyes And her son said he would just stand on the outside of his bedroom door, which was in the basement, and just call his name and whisper things to him. And so he goes to his mom and tries to explain that. And she says, what what are you talking about? Like, she thinks he's hallucinating from the chemo meds. And he goes, no, mom, this house is full of evil. And she tells him evil is in the hearts of man, not in a house. So she's not convinced. And the activity starts to pick up a little bit. And it starts this, this, whatever this is, okay, it starts to attack her niece and like try to pull her bra off and stuff. And she, the mom, Carmen said one night she could see a hand coming up under her niece's shirt and could see the knuckles of the hand coming up underneath her niece's shirt. And so she was like, all right, done with that. I believe you now. So she becomes desperate and calls the Warrens. And Lorraine said that 
she actually got the call in like the middle of the night and it was Carmen and she was uh, blubbering about. And so the Warrens show up the next day with a team of paranormal investigators. And after Ed learns about the history of the house, he suspects that the activity is caused by necrophilia. You know, like the abuse of a dead body. So Lorraine makes her way through the house in her Lorraine style. And she felt that there was some demonic presence in the house, typically. And so there were three priests. One of them ended up writing to the bishop and saying, the home needed an exorcism, but he did not want to be assigned because he was attacked at his own home after visiting the house. So he's like, yeah, the house is haunted and it definitely needs one, but please do not choose me because I ain't going back up in there. So I guess they choose someone else. So the Warrens team up with the church again to do battle with the devil and an exorcism is completed on the house. But during the exorcism, Ed goes under attack and he is feeling like he's having a full on heart attack, like clutches his chest and he goes into the other room and sits down until the exorcism is over and the feeling lifts. But I know that in the second conjuring, there was a scene where it kind of, um, showed that and predicted his death down the line that he kind of like clenched his chest and was then like kind of fell over and the real Ed Warren did eventually pass away from like a heart condition I believe so I don't know it is a little foreboding so what actually happens during one of these exorcisms I did a little research and the ancient rite of exorcism is the Rituale Romanum. First, private confessions are made by each person involved and then the sacred rite of absolution is given. And then everyone is then given one last warning before the ritual starts. Once the exorcism starts, they must keep going until it's finished. So that's what they were doing in this haunting in Connecticut house. And when Ed starts to feel like the chest pain and he has to go in the other room and sit down, they have to complete the ritual until it's finished in order to clear the house. And sometimes weird stuff like that can happen to derail you from finishing the ritual. So that's one of the things I think if all this is real and all of this is true, it could have been like the chest pain could have been caused by something like trying to distract them from finishing the ritual because they finish it and they claim all the activity stopped and the house was fine. It was cleared, but the family did eventually end up moving out and moving on with their lives, and no, they've never experienced anything since. But 
another book did come out about the haunting in Connecticut house. And so, like I said, it's, it's always like a haunting, an investigation, a book, or a TV show, a haunting, an investigation, a book, and a movie. So it's like, I don't know. In total, the Warrens wrote over 20 books and appeared on several talk shows and are now the center of attention, uh, again, in these major high-quality production movies. And it just seems gimmicky in a way. But back to the story. So in the 1990s, the Warrens start training other investigators. So they didn't have to turn anyone away. They could just, if someone needed help, they could just send one of their investigators. So they would send a team out to investigate the claim. And essentially, if they thought it was interesting enough or that it would draw enough attention, they would go themselves and investigate it. But it had to be, you know, it couldn't just be uh, we hear a bump in the night. It, it had to be, oh, they need an exorcism. So they would go and check it out. So they ended up having dozens and dozens of exorcisms performed. And it's been stated the Warrens would even carry restraints around with them. Okay, that's at least 26 red flags worth of, you know, restraints, really? I mean, even for the kids, because I saw this video and they were like, we were investigating and the little girl came under attack and they were holding this kid's arms down and like, Ed Warren is screaming at the kid like, are you full of devils? And like the kids freaking out and eventually like they let up on the kid and they're like, oh, we must've got it out or whatever. But it's like, is this really necessary? So we go on later in their career about towards the end and now enter the devil on trial case. So there was a woman living in Connecticut who believed the house she was renting was haunted and she freaked out and left and the landlord got pissed and was suing her for $2,000, which was the money she owed in rent. So she calls the Warrens and essentially begs them to come prove that this is real and help her out in this trial. So the Warrens know they have to provide evidence in a court of law to prove to this other judge, once again, that devils are real. And the Warrens actually end up winning this case and set a precedent in the United States, and Ed Warren would later claim that this was one of their greatest achievements because they were able to prove in a court of law that ghosts exist devils are real and got this lady off the hook for having to pay the $2,000 of rent she owed. So after this case, the Warrens start their own talk show called Seekers of the Supernatural. And it was essentially a talk show kind of in a podcast style talking about all their many cases. And people loved it so much the Warrens decide to open their occult museum to the public. 
uh, for people to come and look inside. And here they display the many haunted and demonic artifacts they collected over the years, like the Annabelle doll, which is actually a fucking Raggedy Ann doll, which is even more creepy. They should have left it Raggedy Ann in the movie, I think, because those little black demon button eyes. I mean, I had a Raggedy Ann as a kid, and they're fucking creepy, okay? But so... Ed Warren claimed the doll was possessed by many devils, and to this day, it is blessed every so often in the museum, and they, like, take it out of one box, put it in another box, bless the old box, and then put her back in, like, it's a whole ritual. But so, in 2001, a documentary team from Japan invites Ed and Lorraine Warren to investigate a haunted tunnel, and... After filming completes, they return home, and Ed suffers a debilitating stroke. His heart's actually stopped, and the medics use the paddles on him to bring him back. And he was in a coma for 11 weeks and never regained control of his functions, including like his reasoning and speech. And Lorraine takes it upon herself to care for Ed. And she did all the things that a nurse should be doing, like changing his catheter and stuff. But she was more than honored to do this for him in the last, you know, years of his life. So on August 23rd, 2006, five years after his stroke, Ed Warren passed away. Lorraine continued lecturing and... One day she gets a call from Warner Brothers and they want to buy the rights to Ed and Lorraine's stories. So she did, bless her heart, she got to work on The Conjuring with the director and share her stories and get to see it filmed. And I think she was there for the release and everything. So that's nice. Um, but, you know, on April 19th, 2019, at the age of 92, a lot of nines there. And so 92, I mean, she lived a really full life. Like that's, she was almost, almost a hundred years old. She passes away at 92. So it was the end of an era, but the beginning of a new one with, with these movies coming out. So I'm going to let you guys make up your mind about it because, yes, there are a lot of red flags. They Their main mission in life was to prove to people that the devil was real and they did it to a fault because they got a lot of people who would have never been interested in it, interested in it, and especially like with the Ouija boards selling off the shelves to kids of all ages, movies like The Exorcist coming out while they're at the peak of their game. Is this controlled opposition? Or is this just a story of two people who are very passionate about helping people in need suffering from like demonic possession and ghost attacks and stuff like that? I do think it's funny. And a little gimmicky, it always ended in a book. It always ended in a TV show or a TV appearance on like a talk show. And then it led to their own talk show. So they 
definitely were making money off of this and they definitely were making money off of like the conjuring and all these new movies which i think probably their daughter is is getting that those royalties now but are they bad people you let me know. I'm going to include some cool stuff I pulled off of like late night talk shows um, about the Warrens and some of the books and stuff that came from some of their cases. I'm going to include those clips here at the end. But maybe they weren't bad people. Maybe they were. But the story is really cool. Let me know what you guys think. <music> 13 minutes of right now. Back in November 1975, six people uh, were killed in a, an awful uh, mass murder. God knows it. It's got to be awful in a small town on Long Island. The town is called Amityville. The murders took place in this house. One year later, George and Kathleen Lutz bought the house and they moved into it with their three children. After living there for 28 days, they were convinced the house was possessed by some kind of, uh, of evil force and they left their belongings and they fled and they were really terrified. The events that supposedly took place there during those 28 days have been uh, have been put down in a best-selling book. It's called The Amityville Horror. Carmen and their family about a chilling story. They wrote a book about it called In a Dark Place, The Story of a True Haunting. And they wrote this book along with Ed and Lorraine Warren, who have been with us before. They are the professional ghostbusters, who Alan Carmen said saved their lives. Joe, you say the investigations the Warrens conducted is baloney. Why? Well, I've investigated haunted houses for some 20 years, and a professional psychologist... Pardon? Is there such a thing? I've not met a house that I thought was haunted. Uh, I think the Warrens have never met a house that they didn't think was haunted. I think that you are um, mistaken. Similar pattern with the Amityville Horror, a case that the Warrens thought was genuine. We didn't it think turned out, It turned out to be a blatant Nobody hoax. Nobody ever proved that. Concocted over Nobody several bottles of wine. Can the you evidence. Prove it? Yes, I can no, prove can. it. Yes, you I can. It's it. been proven. No, it has never. The been evidence proven. is very clear in the case of the Amityville Horror. No, the whole no packaging way. of this story. Uh, the packaging. book says it's for Halloween release. The book was written by a a professional fiction writer who writes horror stories. Joe, uh, this whole church, packaging is a crock. Joe, does the church admit? To exorcism. According to, according to a newspaper article that I have, the yeah. Bridgeport newspaper, the diocese refuses to confirm that they had any exorcism there. Yeah.